there, folks. Rob Hessler here with another episode of Art on the Air, my weekly Savannah Morning News special. Thank you for tuning in again this week. And I have a really, really great episode lined up for you again. I spoke with Sharon Norwood, an incredible artist that I'm going to just admit right now, I was a little nervous, actually, in talking to her because I just am so impressed with her philosophical ideas surrounding her work, the just the absolute high quality of the work that she makes. And I really think that she is just absolutely blowing up right now. So it was really my pleasure to talk to her and I was a little bit nervous, but she was totally gracious with her time and she did a great interview with me and gave us so many details about her work, her background, how everything got started, including sort of a detailed discussion of how she uses the curly line to make her work. And I think you're going to love hearing that from her. So wanted to mention, of course, you can catch past episodes of Art on the Air and my corresponding Art Off the Air column right here at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. Last week, I spoke with Callie Landre, and I also did a piece about Craig Drennan's exhibition over at Laney Contemporary, and the week before, I spoke with Derek Larson. So head on over to savannahnow.com in the entertainment section and catch those and all the art articles that I write here for the Savannah Morning News. But let's get into this week's interview again. This is Sharon Norwood talking about her process, her background, curly lines, and the concept of otherness in her work. Enjoy. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I'm speaking by Zoom with Sharon Norwood. You can find a whole lot about her at SharonNorwood.com and at Sharon Norwood Artist on Instagram. Now, Sharon, we're going to talk about a lot of your backgrounds and a lot of your work and the philosophy behind it and everything like that. And I'm very interested. But first, I wanted to kind of mention, because we're doing this interview and you're currently in Charlotte as part of a residency at the McCall Center for art and innovation. So why don't we start there? Like, what are you doing there? What is your project there? And, and what's that all about? Yeah, so um, I'm at a residency, an artist residency. Essentially, is a place where artists go to make new work, to network, to um, meet other artists, and, um, you know, develop their ideas. And so I've been here since, since January. Well, January, the residency started in January, but we didn't actually come on site until February. Mm. So I've been here like making like a lot of um, ceramic, you know, a, a new body of work that I'm working on as well as sort of like polishing up some older works that I'm still sort of hashing through. Yeah, and uh, I see that the residency goes through May, but I, I did notice you say you're working on a new body of work, but you're exploring a similar topic that you've delved into in a lot of your work. And I, and I kind of want to get a definition of this from you because I think it's going to, um, lay a lot of the groundwork for our discussion here. And that's, quote unquote, the word otherness. So kind of describe what that means to you, what that means in your work. And we'll kind of um, use that as a backbone for a lot of our discussion. Yeah, well, I, I think essentially my work is about me trying to navigate the world and sort of articulate the experiences that I have, um, the questions that I have as a woman of color navigating, you know, a racialized type of space, you know, with um 
different opportunities and, and the historical connotation of all of that. So that a lot of that stuff, I it definitely comes through in my work. I, I think as artists, that's what we do. You know, we we talk about the world we know, or we talk about our experiences in the world. And so those are my experiences, and that's kind of like what I put in my work. You know, it, it relates to gender. It relates to my my body as a, as a woman. It relates to my body as a black woman. It relates to, you know, me living in the south. It relates to my Caribbean. I mean, there's all of that is all entangled in to the work that I make. Okay, so one other thing that is that comes up a lot in the work that you make, and I think this is really an important and critical component, and that's the curly line. So talk about that. Where did that kind of originate? What does that symbolize for you, and where did that originate? The curly line, I think when, initially when I first started um, making art, I was making a lot of self-portraits, you know, and, and I think when I discovered the curly line, it was still self-portrait where I was like taking the curls of my hair and using that as material. Um, so I started by drawing um, the lines of my hair, the curly lines of my hair. And essentially that still remains in my work. And for me, the curly line was significant, was relevant because I saw it as um, a metaphor perhaps for black bodies, whereas, you know, black bodies, we have curly hair, you know. So um, it became like a, a tool that I could use in my work as a metaphor to sort of make larger conversations. So yeah, so that's where, the, that's where the curly line comes from. It comes from essentially me drawing still life drawings of my hair as it's fallen in the bathroom, as it's fallen in my sink, you know, and just <laughs> right. material to make work. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I kind of want to talk about this, is because, you know, people might think we're talking about curly line, and you mentioned drawing, but it, it's not just drawing. It's in all, you're using all these different media, and it's in the three-dimensional realm, it's in the two-dimensional realm, it's on paper, it's on, it's in painting, it's, yeah. it's on ceramic, it's on found objects. So kind of talk about more a little bit about that. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think it's, I think definitely that I'm developing as an artist, I'm learning more about my language and learning more about um, how, why I'm attracted to the line and why it, it's, it's there in, in so many ways. And I think for me, um, it definitely was an easier way to talk about things because, you know, as an artist, you know, the line has so much meaning, you know, it's the basic, the foundation of drawing. So um, in draw, in using the line in this way, I'm able to exist as an artist, as well as I'm able to sort of articulate my idea that the black woman, it's kind of reminds me a little bit about of Du Bois, um, when he speaks about mm. like double vision in terms of, and so I think for me, the line has allowed me more or less a freedom to be able to like, okay, it's just a drawing, you know, and it's not about race and identity. And at the other hand, it is, you know, and I feel like that's kind of like exemplifies my place in the world. You know, I'm a woman, I'm a person, I'm a human being, but at the same time, I'm also a black woman. What does that mean? And so that's kind of like how I've managed to use the line to, to cross disciplines, perhaps, in some of my works, it's on found objects. In some of mm -hmm. the works, actually, the line is actually a three-dimensional object. So, yeah, so that's, I hope I didn't go off too much, but. Um. No, no, no. I, I mean, actually, let's talk about that the, with the objects, because I think that that's really, it's really interesting. And, um, you know, like you're using historical objects and you're kind of combining your own personal language with the kind of the historical context of those those objects and putting them together and sort of creating a new story. And I kind of want you to delve a little more into that because I have to admit that's sort of what first drew me, drew me in. I saw you had taken this sort of 
classic teacup and covered it in your curly line. And I looked at it and I think there was something deep inside of me that sort of, and I, and I, I, as soon as I saw the curly lines for me, it was, you know, um, I think it was very clearly a connection to black hair type and the teacup sort of had its sort of colonial feel and all of that. So kind of talk about combining that with those historical elements and sort of how you use that to, to really speak about what you want to speak about. Yeah, and I think I think too that um, in sort of um, in terms of speak when you when we think about talking about race and and it becomes like this very sort of very hard edge to mm-hmm. sort of um, crack through. And so I think in the work, what I've done is um, utilize these found objects that already has these inherent histories and associations, you know, in our personal life or in our personal um, history. And so what happens when you marry that, when you take two things that are, that have very different uh, narrative and you put them together, you know, what happens when you take this precious thing, beautiful thing that, you know, when you think about a teacup and these tea, they're, they're pretty, they're beautiful, they are, um, you know, they're, it's about class, it's about, you know, these things that we all esteem to, right? And then, so what happens when you sort of like juxtapose this black figure with it, what happens? Mm-hmm. How do we feel about that? So yeah, I, I think um, the curly line. I, I, but in putting the lines in this way, I like that it um, appeals to people on a very personal level. Like I'm sure my 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 thought is that when the viewer sees it, they're having uh, intimate conversation with themselves and this and their 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 experience with this object, and they're articulating in their own mind what they're seeing. And I think in sort of articulating that and unpacking that, I think it helps us understand our own implicit participation perhaps in that narrative or, or, or we understand our place in that in, in that story. And so that's kind of like what I try to do with the work is to give people like a break. Like I think there's so much that we see that we're just all, we just accept certain things in this just sort of very matter of fact way. And I find, like, in using the line, my hope is that, you know, it will make people, like, just stop for a second within their own little personal headspace, intimate space, and confront this thing. And, you know, and I think when you do, you have to navigate your way out of it. You've got to articulate your way out of it in some way. Like, how do I feel about this object? How does it make me feel? And why am I feeling that? And so it becomes like this conversation I get to have with people, but I'm having conversation with you but you're essentially, um, the, the rebuttal is in your own head. You know, you're having this personal mm-hmm. conversation with yourself. So that's one of the things that I really love about the work. And, and in a way, I think the work kind of mirrors, you know, real life, you know, in terms of how, how people navigate spaces. Well, you know, there's a couple of things in there that really got me thinking and I, and I think are, are, is really fascinating. You said you have to confront it, but I almost feel like it's a soft confrontation in a lot of ways. I want to read this quote here from the statement about your work, not your artist statement from your website, but actually from the McCall Center for Art and Innovation in discussing you as a resident. You have a quote here that says, we are different yet inexplicably connected in our intertwined histories and Norwood's work seeks to interrogate those spaces that both fracture and unite our understanding of self and otherness. And one of the things that I love about that is you are speaking about your own personal experience as a black woman, like you mentioned and talking about issues of race and class and things like that, except for that. Like when I look at your work, 
Well, I'll just take, for example, the intimate spaces, which you mentioned about the hair getting in the drain and that, that your series of works that were intimate spaces, which were three-dimensional sculptures that kind of relief style sculptures almost that were like bathroom walls and soap ledges and things like that. And it had your curly lines, which sort of depicts hair. And I was thinking like, although you're making a commentary to a great extent about your own place as a black woman, like my hair's all over my bathroom even though I'm a white man, like there's a relatable part of that there. So I'm using that term soft confrontation because it's like my first feeling is this is very relatable. And then it's like, oh, well then what is she saying here though? You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's a really effective technique. I think a lot of times because it's not necessarily like in my face, but it does sort of make me think about it. Or we are just mentioning the teacup and the curly lines on it and everything like that. Well, I come from like, a working class background, right? A teacup doesn't feel comfortable in my hand. Like I'm not like sipping fancy tea. Like that's not my life. You know, my life is like, I mean, I, you know, ate TV dinners like growing up and like, you know, like my, both my parents worked and I was like at home latchkey kid, you know what I mean? Like that's, that was my life, you know? So like, so my personal story about like what the teacup means for me is like I go to class with it, you know, when I kind of think about it. So I just think that that's sort of interesting that like, although you're, exper- you're talking about otherness and your own experience as a black woman, like me as a white man, I'm like coming into this and finding a, a lot of relatability to it. Right. Yeah, and I think it's, it, it, it is so in, in the sense that even though we may not participate in certain, you know, spaces, we're still very aware that they exist. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes they, we're, we esteem you know, or we, we measure ourselves in comparison to, you know, we're less than or we're better than or we're equal to in, in, in comparison to those spaces kind of thing. So um, I, I like, one of the things that I, th- I think about the work is that um, when I was making, drawing the lines and thinking about, I think I was thinking about Fragonard's painting, The Swing, you know? And I think about that painting a lot because it's very ornate, very curly space, you know, it's it's very romantic. And we think about all of these like wonderful things. And yet when I look at it, you know, for me, I think about, ooh, an Afro, you know, it's curly. And and then I'm thinking about, and and as I was drawing, I was thinking about, I was thinking, wow, it'd 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 be great if all these, you know, positive words were also associated with, you know, with this curly hair, you know? And then thinking about, you know, what is beauty and how do you, you know, how do we represent beauty? And, and when we think about even just lines, if I was supposed to say to someone, you know, draw a beautiful line, it would be like a curly kind of line, you know, kind of thing. So when I started to think about those things in making the work, and in a way, it's perhaps maybe as a self-affirming kind of a work, kind of um, application in terms of like unpacking. Um, and I feel like the work does that because I, I think to myself, like in me unpacking my associations, negative and positive associations of hair and placing it in these other spaces, I'm allowing people an opportunity to unpack their negative and positive associations of these certain objects mm. to them as well, right? So it becomes like this sort of multi-layered way of, uh, maybe being an advocate or, or maybe, you know, participating in some kind of positive way, just sort of unpacking. And I, and, and I think a lot of this stuff, too, like in terms of the work, it articulates like my way in the States because, you know, I grew up in Canada and even though I was born in Jamaica, 
And so when I came to the U.S., there was a lot of things to me that I'm always being confronted with. And I'm always curious as to why no one sees these things. And so a lot of times I say, oh, these things are hidden in plain sight. And so in a lot of times, mm. like work, I'm trying to um, pull these things out that are hidden in plain sight, like present them in a way that folks are now able to see. That's kind of like a lot of the ways I think about my work. And so when I'm like, you know, across, moving across discipline, I'm thinking about, you know, how can I present uh, my ideas in a way that folks can see it so that when they look at the work, they don't necessarily need me there to say, oh, this is what it's about. They kind of like can kind of, um, you know, use their own personal history and, and, and familiarity with certain things and spaces to sort of like unpack some of this. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you brought up the Frogenard's The Swing because, yeah, I mean, I guess people will probably think of that as like being a beautiful piece. I mean, it's beautiful. Right, right. right. So people think of it as beautiful. And I would actually say the same thing about your work. I think your work is beautiful. Like it's pleasing to look at, right? So like beyond all of the stuff that's going on underneath the surface and all of the details, it's like, it's nice to look at. And I think that's just interesting. And I wonder if you kind of think about that, like, you're making this work that has these complicated and in-depth philosophical ideas that are really contemporary, but also kind of relate to the past and history and everything like that. Like, how important is it to you also, like, as just as an artist, that it's kind of nice to look at, that it's right. just something that people enjoy, can go into a gallery and just, like, enjoy? As one of my professors said to me, it is the visual arts after all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, definitely it is. I think that definitely is. Because I think when I think of some of the work, I, I, I like to think of it as, you know, that you're seduced. So I, you mm. know, so it's like this candy that you, that we can't help ourselves. We're kind of like, you know. And so I, I, I like to think of the work as seducing my, my audience so that they get real close until the horror of it, you know, ah. is there. And so then they have to, negotiate their way out of it you know and I think that's the part for me that's a space that I think if I'm able to do that it becomes real successful whereas you know you're seduced in you're like oh look at that glitter oh that's so beautiful let me go over there and take a look and then when you're there you're like oh uh -oh." (laughs) you know you realize you've got spark glitter all over you and how are you going to get it off (laughs) So, so that's that's the magic that I'm hoping that that presents itself in my work. Well, I think you definitely succeed. I mean, from from an outside viewing perspective, I mean, I, I think that that's the thing is I saw your work and then I kind of like, you know, that's the, of course, that's the way we consume work a lot of the time now, especially during this pandemic. But we're consuming work online. We're seeing our first images are kind of like these online images. And it has to almost like we have to be like you said, seduced by, we have to like see something and be like, well, I want to learn more about this. Whereas if it instantly turns us off, then we'll probably just scroll past, you know what I mean? So, so I think that that's kind of interesting. And then when I went onto your website, SharonNoWord.com and started following on Instagram and then, then you're right. You start to like unpack all of the extra storylines. And I kind of am curious, kind of just transitioning here beyond talking about philosophy and sort of speaking to the listeners to this interview and the readers to this article who are other artists and such about kind of like thinking about that. Cause I think we all, I think there's a lot of artists, not all, but there's a lot of artists, especially now who want to 
I guess, say something, you know, I, I would be the kind of the easiest way to put it to speak to their own experience. And I think a lot of like our generation in particular are interested in a lot of the topics that you're talking about, you know, social justice and, and class issues and things like that, that um, I think in this particular time are re- hopefully they'll stay in our consciousness, although we have no attention span as a culture. So like, you know, it kind of like comes and goes really quickly, but I think a lot of artists want to do this. And I, and I wonder from your perspective, like what kind of advice maybe would you give to artists who are like struggling with talking about those kind of topics and those issues and those things that are going on in the world around us, but maybe are kind of struggling to do so in their own voice. Like, how do you kind of, how did you, would you say, get to that place where you felt comfortable speaking in your own voice like that? You know, the advice I give like just about any artist making work is I always say, you know, it's the same with writing. You know, you have to write about your own stories. You have to do the, make the work that you're compelled to make. That's, certainly when I first began making this work, I wasn't thinking about making, you know, or planning on making a political statement about stuff right. at all. You know, I was just trying to articulate, trying to figure out, you know, why am I feeling always so negatively about my hair? You know, like, should I straighten it? Should I, you know, and trying to figure all of that out you know, helped me sort of like understand a lot more about myself and, and my and my place. So I, and I think if you're an artist out there and you're trying to um, uh, find your unique voice in making work, you need to like, because I think what I did, I think after un- undergrad, I was thinking about self-portraits when I first started this work. And I was like, okay, if I were supposed to curate my space and put something on this paper that would say Sharon, what would it be? You know, and I was trying mm-hmm. really essentially thinking about that what would it be what would I put on this page that would be the still life that would that would represent me and at the time I think I, my hair was falling and I might have been going through some stuff and it was and so I was like okay this is what's top of mind let me just do this let me draw and so that became it for me and I think um maybe I would tell t- say that to other artists like look at the landscape of your life and and what is your self-portrait? Like, what is that one thing that you, that ah. you like, pare down? It would, would be symbolic of you, you know, and start there because I think that would allow you to have a unique voice, you know, that is essentially your own, you know, um, in terms of how you view the world, you know, and, and, and how you navigate, you know, your choices in the world. Okay, so I think that's actually great advice and, I, and I, a lot of people are going to, hear that out there and i think that's the first step but you and i it's funny because when we were talking we talked on the on the phone last week and and we were kind of we got into a little bit of a discussion about well then there's the whole other side of being an artist and if you want to live as an artist and that's posting up the images and making the nice website and and writing proposals and doing all of this other stuff to survive so like we all obviously, I think, as artists want to kind of speak from our heart, but then there's that other consideration too to like make art that is will also allow us to just make art instead of having to just necessarily work a nine to five job and then find our squeeze in our passion when we have the little bit of time here, a little bit of time there. And now you're somebody who has made a successful career as an artist and are working as an artist. How do you think that that, how did that transition happen? Did it happen just totally naturally? How did you, or did it, was it through some sort of very calculated plan? Um, you know, kind of how did that all work out for you? 
definitely I don't think I'm not the artist that I that I have pictured in my mind and I'm it's definitely still trying to make my practice sustainable. But I think for me, um, you know, being an artist, I think I've always been an artist, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. even when I wasn't formally trained as an artist, I was still doing creative, creative things. But I think at some point I made a conscious decision that, yeah, I was going to make art my focus. And um, going to school certainly helped because it helped me develop a community of artists that support my work. And it, it opened my eyes to the different area that I could take my work into, whether it was academia or, you know, the um, curatorial. So mm. it gave me a community so that I could, I could, I had, you know, I feel like I have like soft places to land on perhaps. So I th- I'd say that if anybody was, was thinking about, um, making the commitment to the arts, um, that's what you wanted to do then, you know, which is what I said myself, I said, I'm going to get, if I'm going to be an artist, I'm going to get everything there is out of art. So I'm going to go to school for it. I'm going to get my BFA. I'm going to get my MFA, you know, and I'm going to be so that if I don't make it as an artist, it's not because I did not do one of the things that I needed to. So that's how I did, how I'm doing it. You know, I'm certainly, I mean, there's a lot of help out there. And I tell you, like a lot of times, we're probably our own worst enemies because if we actually do the things we we know we're supposed to do then things work out you know like you know you're supposed to apply for stuff you know you're supposed to get you know take pictures of your work you're supposed to learn to you're supposed to learn to write about your work you know and 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 try and find places to exhibit your work and so if you do i feel like if you i feel like if you do all those things all and consistently and continue to do it that your community shows up you know, people people see your efforts and your energy, and and um, they show up for you. That's how I feel. That's what. Knock on wood. I hope I'm not being a Pollyanna about it. But um, I mean, certainly it's very difficult. You know, like you know, I'm married. I've got a partner, so it's you know, it's a lot easier. You know, perhaps maybe I would be singing a different tune if I was. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty committed to to stay the cause. But yeah, it, it's funny though because I think a lot of the students that I went to school with, it was hard for them finishing school because there isn't any trajectory you know and they have a lot of folks saying okay you're gonna go get a job now okay go get a job now yeah yeah and and so they're not able to maybe take the year or two years it takes to like do residencies and do have very an uncertain future (laughs) they're not able to do that as as as, um with the with the support but i think with this proper support i think um i feel like anybody who wants to be an artist can do can 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 make a living as an artist. You know, it's funny that you it, you're echoing the words of my previous two guests, Callie Landre and Derek Larson. Both kind of said something similar. It was like, okay, you you spend all this time, you work on art, you you go to school for it, and then you graduate, and then everybody says, okay, well that was great, but yeah. now you have to get do real life now, as if this isn't real life like it's not like a path that you can truly follow and there is that pressure to do something other than make art to like do make a job or income or something along those lines but i totally agree i think that there is that that investment um yeah i I feel like also too that it's a sacrifice i mean like in terms of like when you first start off as an artist out out of grad school you know you may have to have a few roommates for a while you know in order so that you can you know, pop in and out, you know, so you can, you know, you may have to do those things initially, you know, but it's not like, it's not a forever track. I mean, 
your practice does pick up momentum, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and you will start, you know, um, understanding how to navigate the, the space of art. Cause there's certain places you can apply to. I mean, it doesn't have, and I'm learning now that it doesn't have to be so difficult. It really can be like, um, and that's what I've been doing lately. Like just telling myself, breathe, Sharon. Okay. You don't, you don't have to get everything, you know, you don't have to go after everything now. You don't have to, you know, every opportunity now you can, you know, you can take your time and, and like build your, develop your practice you know, in a way that's like not crazy. Well, I mean, I think it's working so far. So yeah, whatever you're doing, it's, it's working so far. And um, Sharon, I want to wrap this, um, this interview up here, but before we do that, I want to give you a chance again to, to kind of let everybody know, you know, if people want to follow you and your work and what you're up to and see, you know, what, what future projects you're working on. And you do show in Savannah regularly. You were at, I was telling you, I I must've seen your work at Laney Contemporary before, even though I, I couldn't specifically recall it. And you were just in the FAAA show over at Savannah State. So, you know, you've, you've done that locally recently. So if people want to find out more information about you and your work, how can they do that? Definitely visit my website, SharonNorwood.com. And you can find me on Instagram, SharonNorwoodArt on Instagram. Yeah, it's a good follow too, I will say. And you got a lot of followers. You got like 3,500 followers. Oh. So 4,000 followers oh. or something like that. <laughs> I follow everybody. I'm a follower follower. <laughs> hey, that I, works. I, you know, it's really interesting because I definitely love networking with a lot of artists on, on Instagram. It's a great place to see great work. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. I really appreciate you spending some time here talking with me today for Art on the Air. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.